Can you dedicate a song to somebody if you didn't sing it? <laughs> Say that again. I said, can you dedicate a song to somebody if you didn't sing it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I want to dedicate that to my ace. That's my how girl. you do it. And you yeah, know what? Far. Thank hey, you for really? Thank you for serenading her for Oh, no problem. Up. You know, hey, hey, while we do dedications, let me send a special shout out to my sister whose Absolutely. birthday is today. Absolutely. My baby sister, my baby grown sister. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah. Actually, I got a few of them. Let me send a shout out to my daughter whose birthday is Friday, August the 7th. All and right. Especially my beautiful wife whose absolutely. birthday is tomorrow. Love yeah. all y'all. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh. About that. That's that real love, ain't it? Oh, yeah, that real love. I'm searching for a real love hey. Someone to set my heart free Real love I'm searching for a real love I got to have a real love Amen, amen Excellent segue into our sermon series For those of you who don't know this month we're talking all about love and what says love more than training up a child in the way they should go. Because I'm told when they're older, they won't step away from what you taught them. And it's great to have them in here. I'm also glad to have those folk here today. It's amazing. We got more folk in the sanctuary today than we have literally had in five months. In five months. And they're all young folk. All young folk. And I'm so glad. Uh, maybe we should have education Sunday every Sunday. Get them up in here. I want to do this. This is a little outside the norm before I step down into this, ser into this sermon. I want to go ahead and recognize Kelly, who came here. Kelly, come on up here, Kelly. Come on up here. She all, she all parked up. She all parked up. I'm going to introduce her. She was so proud of her. so proud of her. Like I said before, she graduated from Parker High School. She was Miss Parker High School this year, and she represented well. So we want to celebrate her. She's here. She even got on her Parker High School mask. Yeah, so she's in fashion and in form today. And I want to thank God for all she's done. She's represented so well, not just at Parker, but she's been such a trooper here. Just a sweet girl. I want to thank you for everything you've done. Congratulations to you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. So we've been talking about love these last few weeks. We've been going through a series of sermons that have been talking about how we maintain relationships. And uh, I want to make sure you understand that I'm not just giving you this um, for you to chuck it away and put it in a, uh, a binder somewhere. This is a hopefully practical information that you can utilize right now. We call it our rehab, rehabilitation or our Renew series on relationships. Yeah, the name of the series is Real Love. That's why they were playing, they were playing that, Real Love. And we started out um, making sure you understand, you understood that falling in love is easy. Falling in love is easy. Staying in love is hard. That's the hard part. Everybody can come up with that good feeling, I, you know, ooh, ooh, boo, I love you. But do you love me a year down the road when you know me more, or five years down the road, or ten years down the road? Do you love me then? And I can tell you, if you want to maintain that kind of relationship, it takes uh, work. It takes work. 
It takes a lot of acceptance of your mate. And I'm not saying this as somebody who is untouched by that kind of work. Karen and I, thank God, have been married for 34 years. 34 years. And I tell people on a good day, marriage is hard. On a good day. And if you've been married for any length of time, you already know that that's the case. If you anticipate getting married, marry somebody, find somebody who's not just fine, but who's fit for being married, all right? Fine goes away, <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Fine slides, a whole lot of things happen with fine, but when they're fit to be married, when you like being around them, when they're your friend, you can work through some of those other issues. And so you need to be looking for somebody, tell you this, to you, in my opinion, the best characteristic any good woman could have is you to be able to talk to them. If we can't have a good conversation about something other than how we look, where we're going, what we're eating, we got to be able to have some kind of conversation about some basic information in life. I'm glad to have our brother in our ministry here, Deacon, I mean, uh, uh, I mean, Reverend Richard Cade, he came in to bring his young folk in today, and it's so good to have him here today. He's been married for quite a while now, and he understands it takes work to stay married. You got to want to stay married. You got to want to stay married. And when you don't want to, a society has made it real easy not to be married. But we all believe in the binding relationship that comes from being um, in a covenant with God. And God doesn't let us out of agreements at all. In fact, he keeps, he keeps covenant to a thousand generations. And so when you come before him and you say, I do, he believes you actually do. And so, yeah, you'll get some challenges in your relationship, but he'll also give you a way to deal with those challenges. I realize there are some things, in my opinion, that break covenant, that break covenant. Physical violence breaks covenant. Violence that in, that's inflicted on you over time, that's a covenant breaker. But some couples even make it through that. And so I came to tell you today, we're continuing in this series. The first time we came together, we had a real good conversation and we started talking, um, we started talking about crumbs, crumbs, how we give everybody else all the meat of our day. And when we come home in the evening, all we bring is crumbs to our mate. And they deserve more than crumbs. They deserve a good slice of your, cake, of your daily cake as well. And then we moved on and we started talking about the devil that can go into unrealistic expectations. When you believe something ought to happen, but it doesn't. Is that a realistic expectation from that person? And then last week we went to another level. We talked about these three words. These three words, to me they're the most they're three of the most important words in marriage. You need to learn how to say them and probably will end up saying them once a day if life goes the way it has for me. Um, and those three words are, I am sorry. I am sorry. Learning how to apologize, there's an art to it. Not I love you, we learn how to say that real easy. I guarantee you can find just about any little baby and they can say I love you, they say that real quick. But love is a powerful thing. Love is action, not just words. And sometimes when we're trying to love people, we mess up. We mess up and we need to learn how to say quickly, I am sorry. Will you forgive me? How can I fix this? 
those things that endear you to them. Today we're going to move to yet another level of relationship, and I hope you got something. Maybe you want to write this down. I got some tools that I believe will help you. We're going to use as a foundational scripture because we only use Bible scripture. We only use Bible foundation for what we're teaching. This isn't just head language. This is heart language and soul language. We're trying to grow you as a better believer in Christ Jesus. And so if you've got your Bible, and I hope you always bring it, you'll go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. There's a passage of scripture there that deals specifically with this topic, starting at verse 21. And Jesus is talking to his disciples. And one of his disciples asked him the question that maybe some of you have asked someone. If somebody offends you, how many times must you forgive them? How many times should I forgive someone who has, the, the disciples said, sinned against me? And then he posed a question. He posed a number that he thought was large. Actually, he said seven times. Because one would think that if somebody's doing something to you and they've done it seven times, that that's a whole lot of forgiving you've done. And Jesus looked at him and said, not seven times, Anissa. He said, but 70 times seven. You should forgive him. Seventy, seven, zero times seven. You ought to be willing to forgive them. This is what Jesus said, not what Andre said. In, in other words, Jesus used a, a figure that was so exorbitant, you couldn't even calculate it under those terms as to how many times you ought to be willing to forgive someone. Watch this. There'll be times in your life when you'll have to forgive somebody 70 times seven. There'll be times in your life. Yeah. Everybody always wants to get married and they never anticipate that their spouse or the one they love is going to have problems, but people do have problems. Sometimes people have substance abuse problems. But you love them. And how many times do you think that person is going to come home intoxicated and then tell you, I ain't going to ever do it again? And you start counting that number of times that they've said, I'm sorry. And you start asking yourself, how many times do you have to accept it? Because each time you have to believe that the last time was the last time. Each time you have to believe that I can, we can find something that can help them get past this point. So Jesus' point is, in fact, true. When you love somebody, you'll forgive them over and over and over again in the hope, in the prayer that they'll get better. But, 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 but what if you don't? What if you have gotten to a point where you can't? What happens when you don't forgive people? That's what we want to talk about today. Not forgiveness. We want to talk about unforgiveness. Yeah, unforgiveness is our topic today. What happens when you don't know how to forgive folk? Some people are right here, right here, sitting here right now, struggling with something that somebody did to them years ago and you haven't been able to get around forgiveness. It's stunting you. It's hurting you. It's clogging up your life. The disciples said, Lord, how many times should we forgive someone? Seven times. Because it's not about times. 
It's not about legalistic boundaries. It's about having Christ's nature of perpetual forgiveness. You don't have to know where he comes from. You know already what his standard of forgiveness is. I'm talking about Jesus Christ. I'm talking about Jesus Christ who was being crucified. I'm talking about the Jesus Christ who was being crucified, who was praying for the folks crucifying him. That's his standard of forgiveness. In other words, while they are doing this to me, I'm interceding for them. While I'm struggling, while I'm in pain, while I'm dying, I'm praying for the ones killing me. Come on now. I realize we're not all Jesus. Nobody's Jesus. But to have that kind of forgiveness. There are not many people who can come close to having that kind of spirit about them. To pray for somebody while they're in the midst of hurting them. And yet Jesus says, here is the standard. Watch this. Jesus says, as soon as you get offended, you ought to throw it off. And I think you ought to write this down. One smart writer said this. It's not worth, it's not worth it to allow your history to abort your destiny. Watch this now. Hear what I'm saying. It's not worth it to allow your history, your yesterday, to tear up all your tomorrows. And that's exactly what happens when we have a spirit of unforgiveness. Forgive is what Jesus is saying. And do it immediately. In the midst of the offense, forgive. In the middle of the pain, forgive. Otherwise, you're going to allow some offense, some bitterness, or some resentment to gather and to collect strength. And then you're going to spend all your other emotional and spiritual and physical energies managing that offense. Rather than focusing on giving them to God and following his design for our life. So even though the score might not be even, even though you didn't get what you expected, even though there's nothing anybody can do to make it right, even though you didn't get your money back, even though they won, whatever it is, let it go. Forgive, press on. How do you do this in a marriage when the other person is your spouse and they're not supposed to hurt you like this? They're not supposed to do these things to you. How do you do that? How do you get to a place where you can understand, where you can still sleep in the bed, not have these bad feelings where you're not kicking their feet off you at night? Or you know how it is. Okay. Yeah, when you're just making coffee for yourself and telling them to go for it. How is it when you stop fixing their plate, uh, when you fix your own? How is it that you can get past that place? Because there are ways unforgiveness can slowly but surely destroy marriage. All right? The first thing it does is it destroys intimacy in your marriage. Yeah. Intimacy means to know. To know. And when you stop revealing yourself, when you stop communicating with people, they learn less and less about you. Didn't I just tell you a minute ago in my preamble, some might say it was my pre-ramble, but in my preamble, I told you the best thing you can have with, your, with your, uh, your spouse is to be able to talk. And that's how they get to know you. When we stop talking, we stop revealing ourselves. We stop letting people know. Watch this, I'm not the same person today 
that I was 34 years ago. I'm not. That's good, but that's also a mystery. Even though she's been with me for 34 years, the truth of the matter is she's still learning who this version of Andre is, and I'm still learning who this version of Karen is. And the only way we can do that effectively is to talk, to let one another know how we feel. We still do some of the same things. I still like chicken as much. She still loves coffee as much. But the truth of the matter is, I can't tolerate as much chicken as I used to be able to, and she can't tolerate as much coffee as she used to be able to. We have to do those things in moderation, but how do I know that? Because we pay attention to one another and we talk. It's funny, in the evenings now, our conversations have changed. As we become to be more intimate, it doesn't have anything to do with physicality. She was watching me iron the other day, and she noticed that as I was ironing something, I kept stopping to shake my hand. Because over the course of these 34 years, I've developed carpal tunnel syndrome in my hand. But if I don't talk about that, the only way she can know that is if she watches and pays attention. We talk about medicine now. We didn't talk about medicine when we were growing up. We count our pills out together now. Oh, that's an intimate setting. When you move, and, and we're only in our middle 50s, but paying attention to one another. That doesn't mean we broke down. That just means we're in bodies, and things happen to them. That's intimacy of a different level. Andre, I need to stop by the drugstore and pick up a prescription. That didn't really happen 34 years ago. But that's intimacy of a different level. Do you know what kind of medicines your spouse are taking and what they're for? Do you understand how they help or hurt? If they got the wrong prescription, would you know it right away? That's intimacy of a different level. But when you have unforgiveness, you stop paying attention to stuff like that. You don't look at the details that are still important in life. And so unforgiveness can destroy your intimacy. Not only that, when you have unforgiveness, and unforgiveness means something has happened and I won't forgive, or I can't forgive, or I haven't figured out how to forgive. When you have unforgiveness in your life, it's exhausting. And so you carry the weight of that bitterness. And so out of the consequence, and bitterness can become a, a root in your life. If you ever let it develop a, in your spirit deep enough, Richard, it can develop as a root and it can grow. And it can choke the life out of everything else that's going on when you're bitter like that. You might mask it, but before long it's going to be pulling at every aspect of your life. Out of all the consequences of being bitter, the most debilitating is just that it wears you out. It wears you out. The more we're bitter, the more it tires out your heart. You don't even feel like trying to do stuff anymore. It's just not worth it. The things that used to bring you joy and be fun, you don't want to do it. And it's not because those activities aren't fun anymore. It's simply because you can't see around the other issue. And the other issue takes the joy out of it. Bitter people are exhausted people because it's a weight that they carry. And they always seem to be dragging, if not physically, 
emotionally. We also have another damaging problem with unforgiveness, and that is it's a model of negativity for our children and other people in our lives. Oh yeah, when you got some unforgiveness in your life, people are paying attention to you. They're noticing how you operate. And all those little eyes and little hearts are watching us to see what we do when we're hurt. All right? When something has clearly been done wrong to us, they pick up on it. And you haven't noticed it, but in some instances, they become protective of you under those circumstances. They have learned how to watch out for you in ways that you don't know because they're watching you from an objective standpoint. And when they think you've been hurt, even if it's unrational, they're going to protect you. You're teaching them how to respond to situations when you won't forgive. When they see that we respond with unforgiveness in every situation, with distance, with coldness, with bitterness, when they see you won't interact with other people because of the bitterness in your heart, they learn to do the same thing. They need to make the person pay for it. They see this. And they learn how to not forgive people too. And so they grow up as unforgiving adults because you've patterned that to them. Even though people have been kind to them, they don't even understand why they act that way. And it's simply because they have taken on that structure from the household, picked up some negative ways, all because you don't know how to forgive folk or you haven't figured out or haven't had the courage to ask God to give you the grace to forgive other folk. Now watch this now. You also, and you're going to be mad at me when I say this, but that's okay. You'll get over it. Maybe. See, that's a problem. That's a problem with the spirit of forgiveness. When people come to you with rational, reasonable requests, because you have this next thing, you refuse to listen to them. One of the things that having a spirit of unforgiveness gives you is a false sense of superiority. A false sense of superiority. In other words, I must be right, and all of them must be wrong. And so when somebody comes to me and tries to tell me about myself, they don't know what they're talking about. Yeah, and I don't have to listen to this. It doesn't matter how reasonable the request is. Yeah, unforgiveness and bitterness is one of those deceiving emotions that initially makes you feel empowered, makes you feel strong and like you're in control. You feel like you had to draw a line somewhere, and it tells you just how tough you are. But control and forgiveness never, ever, never, ever gives you sustained moral authority. Never. You won't ever get respect because you control and, and because you, won't, uh, not, well, you will not forgive someone. They won't respect you under those circumstances. But what will give you that is love. And unfortunately, love sometimes makes us feel weak. It makes us feel like somebody got over on us. Yeah. But can I tell you, control and bitterness never earned you the respect that you want. That only comes from humility, forgiveness, and for love. So what can we do? What can I do, Reverend Sparks? You told me this. This is kind of hard on me. I'm realizing that I'm struggling. 
in some area of my life with unforgiveness. Some people, in, some people in your lifespan, in your life space, are struggling with unforgiveness against folk who are dead. Who've been gone to glory. Who will never, ever be able to address what they've done. Never, ever be able to say, I'm sorry. And you're holding that as if you see them every single day of your life and it's only destroying you because unforgiveness does not hurt the person you won't forgive. Unforgiveness hurts you. It's the poison that you get to get somebody else back, but instead of killing them, it kills you. That's what unforgiveness is, and it's tearing you up. And when it's in a marriage, you can see quickly how that can tear down relationships. You might not notice it. You might not notice it. You might not notice it, the little murmurings and mumblings you do when they walk out of the room and you say something. Other people notice it. Other people pay attention to those things. So what steps can we use to ultimately lead back to getting together? There's one step, and you need to hear me right now, and, and hold on now because this might rock you out of your foundation. This is going to rock you out of the rut you're in because you're not expecting this. I wish I could tell you you could go to CVS or Walgreens and get a pill. Take that pill and suddenly you're back on the road to forgiveness, but it doesn't work that way. The way you have to start getting beyond unforgiveness is to allow yourself to be broken. Hear me now. Healing begins with brokenness. Healing begins with admitting that you can't do it by yourself. Healing begins with accepting that you are powerless in the situation and you need to give the situation to a master potter in order for him to rebuild the relationship. Healing begins when you allow the stiffness of your neck, the stiffness of your heart to be broken. But that's the problem. You're afraid. If I let it get broken, you don't know how it's going to get put back together again. And can I tell you, he's still putting lives back together again. He's put a whole lot of lives. In fact, it wasn't duct tape. No. No, it wasn't crazy glue. It was grace that has kept a whole lot of relationships going. It was mercy from the Lord that has kept a whole lot of people still married at, at 50 years when everybody knew they would tow up at 20. It's nothing but his grace that's kept them. Can I tell you, you gotta let yourself be broken. Kids sing the song all the time. And it's amazing to me that the song comes from a movie called Frozen. But you gotta learn how to let it go. Let it go. You got to, if you want for it to be unfrozen in your life, for the block to thaw, you got to learn how to let it go. How do I learn how to let it go? How do I get past the infidelity? How do I get past the betrayal, the hatred? How do I get past the constant lying being talked about? How do I get past the fact that you rejected me over and over again? How do I get past that? Well, the first thing you got to do is admit that it hurts you. 
Stop acting like you're all hard and you're a super person and that it hasn't phased you, all right? But can I tell you this, and you're going you're gonna to say, what? When you go to someone and you ask for forgiveness, how they respond is not the issue. Hear me now. When you go to someone and you tell them they've harmed you, how they respond is not the issue. Because it is only true forgiveness when you forgive regardless of their response. How they respond is not the key to true forgiveness. You might tell them, I forgive you for a hurt. They may laugh at you. They may call you out your name again. But that's not the key. When you ask the Lord to give you the power, the strength to forgive, and you let someone know if you can, because you can't always, if it's somebody dead, somebody who's gone on, somebody you don't have contact with, no communication, you simply move the burden off of you. That's what forgiveness is. I'm offloading this burden of unforgiveness from me. I'm getting rid of it so that it's not weighing me down, killing me, hurting me, harming me anymore. I'm expelling this poison from my system. In the parable, that was the aftermath of the question from the disciples. And there was a long parable there, and I didn't go into it because I didn't think I needed to. But I want you to go back at some point, and I want you to read that whole follow-up to Matthew 15, I mean, Matthew 18 and 21. Read that. Talks about someone being loaned some money. Talks about somebody being loaned some money and owing somebody else some money. And how they were given grace, but refused to accept grace from other people who owed them. In other words, somebody loaned me some money. I was late on my payment, but they gave me some grace. And the reason I was late on my payment was because somebody else owed me some money, but I came down and rained hard on them. Yeah. Jesus wanted them to know because you have been forgiven, you need to also learn how to forgive. Because you've been given this grace, you need to learn how to extend grace also. Those of you who say that you're a believer in Christ Jesus cannot be adequately or purposely so, not fully, if you don't understand what forgiveness is. Because the foundation of our relationship in Christ is forgiveness. First, forgave us of our sins. That's how we became his. And so go back and pray real hard about your relationship with him. Not because you're righteous, but because you've been forgiven. It's grace, not earned, that allowed you to be in this situation. And forgiving other people is a serious issue with God. It's one of the requirements of a marriage is that we follow God's law. That's what we believe. And so if you want to have forgiveness in your relationship, 
marriage especially, then you need to, one, stop rehearsing that other situation. Stop rehearsing it. Yeah, rehearsing it. Rehearsing makes you better, doesn't it? You rehearse a song, it makes you better. Yeah, if you keep rehearsing a hurt, guess what? It doesn't make you better, it makes you more bitter. Yeah, rehearsing a hurt makes you bitter. Every day you get up and you rub that space. If somebody hurts you, it makes you bitter. And all it's doing is holding you back. Release that guilty person. No matter how serious the situation is. So the first way you do that is to stop rehearsing the situation. Watch this, I'm going to empower you right now. Write this down. Choice is the power you have. Choice is the power you have. Choice. In other words, I can choose today how I'm going to deal with this circumstance. That's my power. When you don't exercise the power of choice, then you succumb to the circumstances. Choose to forgive. You can't choose to undo the problem, but you can choose how you deal with the problem. Choice is your power. You're going to get up and stand up and shout at me when I say this one. Some of you are going to shout because you're going to say impossible. Others are going to shout because you're going to say, ouch. Ask God to bless them. Ask God to bless them. Pray for them. Y'all don't hear me. Ask God to bless the person who wronged you. Ask God to bless the person who harmed you. Pray for that person. Not perfunctory prayer. Bless them. No. Pray that God will bring good and change and relationship and growth to that person. How do I know it? Because Jesus said it. Luke 6 and 28. He said, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Matthew 5 and 44, he said, but I tell you, watch this, love your enemies and pray for those who prosecute you. Pray for them. Can I tell you, one of the signs of a mature believer, a maturing believer, is the ability to pray for people who have done you wrong. And I've seen prayer transform somebody from an angry, bitter person to a person who loves and who can allow others to understand the power of it. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. Can I tell you, the world saluted a man this year, this week. The world saluted a man all over the country. A poster carpet from Ramah, Alabama, Troy, Pike County, Alabama, the world saluted him, not because he was a politician, but he was. Not because he was a good father, but he was. Not just because he was a well-traveled person of the world. They forgave him for one reason and one reason only. And man after woman after man after person got up and testified to the fact that what he was at his essence was a good man who learned how to forgive other people. And he shared it over and over again 
You have to learn how to forgive people. You have to learn how to pray for people who despitefully use you. You have to learn how to pray for folk who beat you. You have to learn how to pray for folk who don't think you're as good as them. You have to learn how to forgive them if you want to be better. That's why I know that John Robert Lewis claimed his crown with the Lord because he walked the forgiveness that he taught. And everybody around him on both sides of the political aisle came and celebrated him. And only those who have a root of bitterness, only those who have a spirit of unforgiveness, only those who are wrestling with their own demons couldn't see past the wrong to go and celebrate the right. Only those folk who were so small-minded in their approach and who were not nursing the Spirit of God couldn't go and celebrate a man like that. And so ask God to bless them. Ask God to be with them, and it'll grow you as well. And then this, refuse to live in that hurt space. Refuse to live in that hurt space. Don't take, don't take up residence in a place of hurt. Move on past that. Old folk used to say, I got a new home yeah. over in glory. And it's mine. It's mine. Can I tell you something right now? Just like you can anticipate moving over there, you can also move here from that space. You don't have to stay in the place of hurt. If 2019 was a place of hurt, guess what? It's gone. You can move beyond 2019. 2019 shouldn't still be dogging you in 2025. You ought to choose to move beyond that space. If 2020 hadn't been all that you anticipated it could be, move on beyond that space. Emotionally get past the space where you were hurt. If your marriage was bad last year, guess what? You're in a new space right now. Go to a new space. Expect it to be better. If your friendship with somebody was bad and they still are valuable to them, move on. Get to a new space. Forgive whatever perceived slights there were. I guarantee you most of them don't even know the slights were there. You've probably been dealing with it by yourself. They will be surprised if you brought it to them to know that you've dwelled in that for so long. Forgive and forgive quickly. Watch this. And then the last thing I want to tell you is this. After you stop rehearsing it, after you've chosen to use choice, after you've asked God to bless them, after you refuse to live in that hurt space, do it again. Do it again. And keep on repeating that every time. And every time you come on a situation, see those four, apply them, and do it again. And keep on moving. And that's your formula for not living in unforgiveness. Matthew wrote these words. He said, if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their, tr their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you yours. God makes it very clear that in order for us to receive forgiveness, we have to be willing to give forgiveness. I need you to know this, that forgiveness is free. Forgiveness is free. But that person's trust that's hurt you must be earned. 
They got to keep working on it. Just because you forgave them doesn't mean you have to trust them anymore. They need to work hard to make sure you trust them again. And watch this. Forgiveness does not excuse what they've done, but it prevents what they've done from having control or destroying your life. That's what forgiveness does. And offering forgiveness doesn't mean they win. It means Christ wins because we've learned how to live like him. And so choose forgiveness. And today is the day you can start to heal. If you haven't already found the courage to do it, I'm asking you to try right now. Stand in that space you are right now with the courage and the power you have right now and ask God to forgive them for what they've done for you and ask him to forgive you for not coming to him sooner to get it resolved. If you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins, then perhaps you need to ask him to do that before you start pointing the finger at somebody else. Now's an opportunity for you to ask God to bless you, to make you his, to love you, carry you, and go with you. I wanna pray right now for all of our young folk. I wanna ask the Lord to bless them as they leave our environments. I wanna thank him for keeping them keeping them safe all these many years. I want to I let him know how much we appreciate the shadow of his hand being over all these schools and our babies being safe every day. And now I'm asking the same God who blessed them when we could see them to bless them as they leave here, to bless them as they go to their next area of growth. Be with them every single day. Guide good people to them. Steer bad people away from them. But in any event, Lord, bless them with the sense of discernment to know who's good and who's not. Let them live, Lord, but let them also learn. And let the learning not destroy the living. Let the learning teach them that you're everywhere. Let them also know in their maturity that they have to call on your name themselves. That mama may have and daddy may have and they may pray for me every day. But since I want to be grown, I've grown enough to know I got to pray for myself. Bless them, Lord. Keep them. Give them the resources they need. Let angels encamp around them. Lord, we thank you. And we know that the same Jesus who protected them here will do so there. Lord, we love you. We certainly adore you. And we lift it all in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen, and amen.